Welcome to the Unofficial House of Wind Book Club, ran by two best friends and self-declared members of the Night Court. Today we are discussing chapters 21 and 22 of A Court of Thorns and Roses. I know you can hear me from the dark. I know you're listening from afar. I thought that no one could fix me. Can't get hold of my feelings with you in my head. Libby, how has your week been? It's been a good week. My child started school this week. She also made me very nervous that we're going to be getting to know this principal very well. I'm sorry, you have not told me this. Were you saving this for the podcast? The thing is, she asked me if she could tell jokes at school. (laughs) No. I was like, sure, yeah. As long as they're not mean, you don't hurt anyone's feelings because you got to cover all the bases with her. You never really know what she's going to say. And she like, she doesn't say anything back. So I'm like, okay, cool. Like we've moved on. And a few minutes later, she's like, maybe I shouldn't. And I was like, what? And she just, maybe she shouldn't tell jokes at school. Like apparently she has nothing in her back pocket except for jokes that are just gonna roast her classmates so she's just not gonna whip them out at all do we have any examples no she didn't want to share she was like i'm just not gonna tell the jokes (laughs) Uh, i was like i think it's a good idea like i'm scared if she felt she needed to double check with me on that like what hasn't she double checked with me what am i gonna be getting a phone call about during the school year oh i just want to verify you did not get a call from the teacher so she could, it couldn't have been that bad. Not yet, but she's only attended three days so far. So <laughs> we're three days in and there, there hasn't, but we did get an email on Friday that said, starting Monday, we will now be getting a folder that tells us about how her behavior is every day. So don't know what that means. Wait, is that just her or the whole class? I don't know yet. I'm, I'm not sure yet. Oh my God. So we're, we're about to find out. I'm so proud of her. I'm so proud of her. She's only gone to three days. It's only been three days. So like, what did you do within your first three days? Hey, just a forewarning. We do have to give you a play-by-play of her whole day. Oh my God. Just in case. Oh, she's, she's making her own way in the world, in this new school. She's making her presence known. It's a good thing. Yeah. I will never have to worry about her as an adult. She has got it down. No, she's an adult already. She will never need me to defend her. I love it. Well, do you remember how I told you I was going to take the whole month off and then I definitely did not do that? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay. But I did take a week off. That's That's an accomplishment for you. I can't tell you the last time I did that. That didn't involve moving across the world. That doesn't count as a week off. Taking time off to pack up and move does not count as taking time off off. Okay, then I haven't done that in like... Since you were in like school? Yeah. Since I was 14. Yeah. Since my first job. Um, I took the whole week off and I did nothing but cuddle my puppies and crochet, which by the way, thank you everyone for sending in your crochet photos. I think we had like six or so. It was amazing. I love seeing them. But I crocheted and embroidered some stuff 
and just soaked and relaxing. But this weekend is my last free weekend until December 6th. Mm-mm. Nope. So I had a really good weekend. I got to see some friends that I haven't had time to like hang out with in a while. Um, yesterday, we went to a sunflower field. That was gorgeous. We went to go pick sunflowers. My friend forgot to tell me that she's allergic to bees. And she knew you were going to a sunflower field, right? She picked it out. I'm sorry. What? She did. Uh-huh. And as we were going to, you know, pick the sunflower, you have to cut them because they grow tall. She goes, oh, yeah. Um, by the way, I am deathly allergic to bees. And if I get stung, we have to go to the hospital. Whoa. Not just allergic, deathly allergic. Oh, she will die. You were like two seconds away from being the episode of season two in Bridgerton. A hundred percent. Yeah. She was sitting there basically shaking like a leaf. I love bees. I have a tattoo of a bee on my arm. My family calls me bee. I had a bee fall asleep on my shirt this week. Oh. I love bees. That sounds magical. But there was hundreds. Oh my God. Because we were in a field of thousands of sunflowers and this woman would die if she got stung by one. And there's probably the highest probability I've ever been in of getting stung by a bee right then. So that was fun. Did she have like an EpiPen at least? Do you know Tried Here does not cover EpiPens? Stop. Nope. Really? They don't cover like getting new ones. They'll give you one. And even if it expires, you don't. Isn't that crazy? Wow. That is because we've been covered with TRICARE and um, we ha- we've had glucagon pens that we've been able to get. Oh, no. Just you got that miss type one uh we i I didn't get that i'm sorry (laughs) it's okay Uh, but then we (laughs) we went to a cute little like uh mom and pop owned italian restaurant with some of the best pasta i've had in all of italy and we went to decorate her house we went to a couple different stores around the area to decorate her house so that was really fun and then today i got to wake up and go for a walk with one of my friends this morning and the track on base overlooks the dolomite mountains it's this really gorgeous mountain peak of Piancavallo, and it's stunning. And it was like a clear, gorgeous day, so we could see Piancavallo this morning. And then I went to a little town called Sicile with another friend, a different friend of mine, and we had lunch. Literally, the best pasta I've ever had. It was squash ravioli. Oh, that sounds good. With a pumpkin crema sauce. I don't even know what that is, and I want it. It was delicious. And I had raw ham. It's called capaccio uncooked pork which usually isn't like the thing you do i think it was like smoked okay i don't know it was delicious it was really good and then we went and got coffee and tiramisu and then walked around the cute little town and it felt very italy then i went grocery shopping and the ladies were like oh my god you look so good Mm -hmm. because i haven't seen them in a couple weeks and that was really sweet for them like they're uh, italian nationals and for them to be like oh my god i can tell you've lost so much weight that was like really really nice and very last, I picked up a plant. Okay. I have a new a new pothos plant. I've named her Polly the Pothos. <laughs> uh, just like Polly the Pocket, my tummy. And she now lives in my home. So it has been a great weekend before the crazy of 14 photo shoots in two weeks. Not just 14 photo shoots, Abby. How fast is your turnaround time when you deliver the photos from those shoots? Oh, a week. They get them back within the week. Yeah, you not only take the photos, you edit them, which in itself, that's a task. And then you deliver them one week later from the shoot itself. And you have 14 of those coming up. And I have 
12 meeting. Did you schedule sleep? Because at this point, I don't think you'll be getting any. Oh, I'm also starting a running plan on Monday. I'm going to be a little bit busy for the next month. I want your therapist's number. I'm telling on you. I want her number right now. I'm calling her and I'm telling on you. Her name's Pam and I love her and I have a session with her tomorrow morning. Pam, she's grounded. I I was like, I should probably have a session with her before the the crazy ensues. She's going to have a meltdown. She's going she's going to need her therapist when she hears your upcoming schedule. She's basically my best friend now. Libby, do you have a question for us for the week? Oh, yes, yes I do. Question of the week. Do you prefer homemade gifts or gifts of higher monetary value? I'll let you go first. Okay, so I I think I prefer homemade gifts. Don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. You want to spoil me with something higher monetary value. I'm not going to like say no. I'm not going to be hurt by that, please. But I appreciate anyone that's going to like take the time and their energy to devote that to making something for me. It, it makes me feel like they thought I was worth doing that for. The time. Yes. And like that, that it really is in that sense, the thought that counts. Now, if you're just like, I thought about doing something for you, but nah, like that's not the thought that counts. That's not what I mean by that. So yeah. Okay. I have a good answer for this one. I've been thinking about it a lot. I think it is very easy to go and pick up a gift from somewhere and spend a hundred dollars on this gift, right? If you have the money, that doesn't really take much thought. I think it is so sweet if somebody takes the time and the effort to make you something from hand. I don't care if it's a really horrible potholder. Those potholders took time and you were thinking about me that whole time. I love homemade gifts. Except from my husband. Oh, so maybe James don't listen to this episode. <laughs> There's one gift from James I love and I love it every year. He makes me a birthday cake. It is our new tradition since we moved here. My mom can no longer make my gooey butter cake for my birthday. And so every year he makes me a birthday cake. Oh. Is it a good cake? Yes. Delicious. Top tier quality. You know what vibes that just gave me? There's like a new TikTok audio where... It's like one voice that's like, did you run a red light? And the other one's like, "Uh?" and it's like, what do you mean? Did you? "Uh?" That's what I'm getting from you right now. Like, is it a good cake? "Uh?" Yes. Yeah. That's the vibes I'm getting here. He tries and I think it's very sweet. And even when my blood sugar was like 400, I still ate a piece of his cake, which was like not healthy to do. My diabetic blood sugar just like. Ugh, when you said that, no. Made you queasy. That made me very sick. I can't believe that you you really took one for the team by doing that. Are we ready? Libby, I am so excited for these chapters, though, because that purple highlighter very much came out in your chapter, and I'm excited to see you do it justice. Oh, my chapter does not disappoint. My dad actually told me recently, he and my sister got all caught up on all of our podcast episodes, except... The one where we said things get a little bit steamy and they were like, nope, no, no, no. So to my dad and to Sunshine, (laughs) you're going to want to skip my chapter this week. You're going to want to skip really. Just keep going. Keep going. Don't listen. I think my mom has listened to these. Um, And my mom is the one that introduced me to smut as a book genre. So mom, you just keep listening. We love it. Chapter 21. Farah had no doubt in her mind that the alluring male before her was High Fay. The night seemed to surround him, and his eyes twinkled as they laid upon her. He had to have been from another court since he wore no mask. His voice was seductive and gentle, yet it sent shivers throughout Farah's body as he asked why a human would be attending fire night. Farah felt the drumming around her beating faster, and she stepped back, offering an excuse of her friends having brought her. 
She couldn't take her eyes off the male, his body not at all hidden by the close-cut clothing, and it was doing all of the right things. The male moved closer, asking for the names of the friends, and Favor wondered if she had traded the other three monstrous fae for something much worse. When Favor said nothing, he told her she was welcome for his saving her. Favor was not impressed with his ego. The male is sly when telling Feyre how strange it is for a human to befriend any fae at all, but Feyre retorts that she's known them her whole life, so they are trustworthy. Yet it's stranger more that they would have abandoned her then. Feyre scrambles and tells him they simply went for refreshments. Feyre knows she's outed herself somehow with her lies. The male, despite seeing through the charade, informs her that the refreshments are a long ways away and offers to escort her wherever she may be going. She refuses, and he accepts, telling her to enjoy the right before going to leave. But Favor cannot hold back as she calls out, asking if he's not from the spring court. He laughs softly and assures her that he is not part of the spring court, and he's glad for that. Favor knows she should walk away, but can't help herself when asking the male why he is at the right. He responds menacingly that the monsters have all been let out of their cages tonight, so he may roam wherever he wishes until dawn. Favor is done with the conversation and sharply tells him to enjoy the right before turning her back to him and hurrying back to the hollow. Favor makes eye contact with Lucian, leaving him wide-eyed and stunned by her presence. Lucian appears beside her, wasting no time, and drags her away from the activities, throwing her over his shoulder before running her home. Lucian moves so quickly that Favor feels sick. The drumming grows farther away and Lucian arrives with Favor at the manor. Lucian tells her she's an idiot. She's foolish. What had she done? What she had just seen wasn't even the right. He appears both worried over Tamlin possibly seeing Feyre there and relieved that Tamlin hadn't. He can't believe that nobody bothered to fully tell Feyre what Fire Night is. It's the start of spring here in Prithian, and the crops rely on the magic they create to grow and flourish. Each of the seven high lords is to perform this yearly. Feyre pushes for Lucian to come right out and tell her what the ceremony is. Tamlin will allow the magic into his body and it will use him for the sole purpose of finding a female to couple with as a way to release the magic which will spread and replenish the earth. The magic is consuming, almost drug-like in its effects. The mating chosen could be anyone. The females at the right were all there hoping to be chosen. And once Tamlin makes his choice, the remaining present males may also partake and help in replenishing the earth themselves. Lucian tells her that had Tamlin found her, he would have claimed her, and not in a way she would have enjoyed. It would have been a forceful encounter. Lucian tells Feyre to stay in her room all night, no matter what, and keep the door locked. During the night, Feyre drifts to sleep but wakes when the drums have stopped. Feyre thinks of the girl Tamlin probably chose, how she probably had been appealing to his needs, how lucky this girl would have been, and honored. After all, Tamlin is handsome, every part of him attractive, not to mention his mouth. Favor stops herself. She considers how ridiculous it is that the door could keep her safe from any fae. Favor leaves her room and goes to the kitchen for a snack of a loaf of bread, an apple, a lemon tart, and a chocolate cookie. The cookie's still in hand as she heads to her painting room to pour out her frustrations. Down the hall, a tall, moonlit, shirtless male stands before her, his chest covered in blue paint smudged where he had been touched, dipping below his waist. But Feyre made sure to keep her eyes at an appropriate level. Tamlin reeks of magic and tells Feyre he had searched for her when he caught her scent, but he couldn't find her. Tamlin now grabbing her wrist and pinning her to the wall. Feyre tells him to let go, but he doesn't acknowledge her. He growls, and the reverberations travel down her body. Tamlin was forced to choose another and taunts Feyre that he wasn't gentle with that female, but he would have been gentle with her. He would have had her moaning out his name as he took his time with her. Tamlin's breath hovering near her ear causes Feyre to arch into him. 
Tamlin removes his claws from the wall. Feyre is being held against, and she holds to it to keep from falling as her knees are buckling. Feyre opens her eyes and sees Tamlin's feral smile. Feyre retorts, asking why she would want someone else's leftovers. In response, Tamlin restrains her hands once more and bites down on her neck, and Feyre cries out. Tamlin's lips, his teeth, keep her pinned in place. Feyre wants to hate him for the right and for being with another, but can't resist as she pushes her hips into his. Tamlin eases into a kiss upon her neck and grinds back into Feyre as well. Feyre can't help it when a moan escapes, but this causes Tamlin to rip away and firmly tells her not to disobey him again, still grinning. Feyre slaps him and makes it clear he may not tell her what to do, and don't bite her like some beast. He chuckled at this, and Feyre simply wants more, more of him, more of his body, more, more, more. Tamlin can smell the desire on her, and he stalks away, frustrated. Whew! What a chapter. My, my face is so red. <laughs> I was the one reading it. Why are you blushing? <laughs> Mom, I take it back. Please don't listen. Feyre woke up later than normal the next morning. Sleep had not come easily to her the night before. It seemed like the whole house was tired, too. The servants were still sleeping, recovering from their night full of celebrations. Feyre noticed that she had a bruise on her neck from Tamlin's teeth hours prior. She started to search for a scarf or anything to cover her neck, but realized that if Tam was going to act like an animal, he'd have to face the consequences of it. She unbuttoned her tunic and tucked her hair behind her ears to make sure there was no hiding the evidence of his actions. Feyre made her way down to the dining room where she knew the two men were being served lunch. She cheerfully greeted them, but the boys quietly answered. They, too, looked exhausted. Instead of sitting across from Tamlin like normal, she chose a seat facing Lucian. He noticed the bruise almost immediately and questioned it. Feyre told him to ask Tamlin about it, since he was the one who caused it. Tamlin curtly replied that he bit her because they had ran into each other the night before in the hall. Tamlin said she had a death wish, and since Feyre couldn't be bothered to listen to his orders, then he'd not be responsible for the consequences. Feyre thought of his response was unreasonable and stated that he cornered her in the hall like a wolf with a rabbit. Tamlin retorted that while he might not have been acting like his normal self, he did demand that she stay in her room. Feyre became extremely frustrated and called him a fairy pig, which only made Lucian laugh and Tamlin smile. So Feyre left. For hours, she filled her time painting portraits of Tamlin and Lucian with pig features. She titled one of the paintings, Two Fairy Pigs Wallowing in Their Own Filth, and only then did she begin to smile. She realized her Tamlin was back, and it made her happier than it should have. They apologized to each other at dinner. Tamlin even brought her a bouquet of white roses. Feyre tried not to make a big deal of the gesture, but ensured Alice took care of the flowers back in her room. That night, Feyre fell asleep with a smile on her face, and for the first time in a long time, she slept peacefully. Alice didn't know if she should be happy or worried about Feyre's request the next night. As the gold dress clung perfectly to her body, Feyre reminded Alice that it was just a dress, only for a night, and that she would not be giving up her normal attire. She just wanted to try it out. Alice began attending to Feyre's hair. Feyre asked her who had taught Alice to do hair the way that she did. Alice noted that her mother had taught her and her sister, just as her mother was taught by her. Feyre asked if she'd always been in the spring court. Alice replied their family was originally from the summer court and that she had made the choice to come here. Her family thought she was insane, but after losing her sister, she had to come here and do what she could. Alice told Feyre to look in the mirror, and Feyre left the room quickly before the anxiety set in. Feyre made her grand entrance into the dining room and tried to avoid the boy's shocked glances as she took her normal seat. 
Lucian quietly stated that he was late for something incredibly important and vanished. Alone with Tamlin, she could feel his gaze upon her. She didn't know what to say, but words spilled out of her mouth anyway. She said he was too far away, like he was in another room. Suddenly, the length of the table vanished, and Tamlin was less than two feet from her now, at a much smaller table. She gasped, and Tamlin laughed at her, asking if this was a little better. She was in awe as he explained that magic was like a broom closet tucked in between the pockets of the world. She asked if it made him tired to use the magic because he had cracked his hand and rolled his neck like he was in pain. He said it used to be as easy as breathing, but now it required concentration. She internally realized it must have been because of the blight. She said he could have just taken a closer seat, but Tamlin said he wouldn't dare miss a chance to show off to such a beautiful woman. Feyre bashfully turned her face and smiled. He reiterated that he meant it. She did look beautiful. He asked if she had looked in the mirror before she left. Feyre admitted that she did look pretty even feminine, but that she wouldn't have gone as far as beautiful. She realized that in the few short months she was here, a light had come back into her eyes. She thanked him and then, avoiding saying more, stuffed herself to the brim before looking back at him. He had casually leaned back into his chair, but she could easily look behind the facade to see how tight he was with stress. She requested that he come with her. She had a gift for him. He hesitantly followed her as she brought him to a door, not letting go of her hand until she reached for her key. She unlocked the door and slowly opened it to reveal her painting space. Tamlin used his magic, albeit slower than before, to lighten the room. Feyre began to state that she knew her work was strange and not as good as anything on the walls in the gallery that he had, but she just wanted him to see this one painting, that it was a gift for him, for everything he'd done. Feyre explained it was the glen with a pool of starlight, but Tamlin mumbled that he already knew what he was looking at as he studied the painting. Pharaoh was unable to watch him looking at it and became embarrassed that she'd brought him here in the first place. After what seemed like an eternity, his gaze broke from the first painting and slid to the next closest painting on the wall. Pharaoh cringed. To anyone else, it wouldn't have looked more than snow and bare trees. So, again, Pharaoh began to try to explain what the painting was, but he beat her to it. The forest where she hunted, he said. This was your life. Pharaoh was both too embarrassed and too stunned to say anything. He continued down the line of paintings. He knew what each one was. Feyre found herself unable to breathe. He came to a painting, the only one with any brightness. He knew it was about Isaac immediately, a flash of what seemed like jealousy in his tone. Feyre defended that he was the only escape she had. She wouldn't apologize for Isaac, just as Tamlin wouldn't for the great right. Not that she held it against him, but was Tamlin jealous of Isaac? Tamlin let loose a breath and continued on to another the night her father's leg had been ruined. She noted someone had to beg them to stop, and Tamlin gave her a knowing look before moving to the next. He finally made his way back to the glen in the starlight painting. He then pointed to the painting of the woods, her woods. He stated this is the one that he wanted. Feyre fought back, saying it was cold and melancholy and didn't suit the place at all. He gave her a heart-wrenchingly beautiful smile, saying that that's the one he wanted nonetheless. She couldn't think of anything she wanted more than to rip his mask off and to see his full face beneath it. She wondered if it looked like she had imagined. She said if there's any way for her to help him with the mask or whatever threat had taken his power, just to tell her. He asked her that her, a human, wished to help a fairy. Stop teasing, she begged. She just wanted him to tell her. Please. He said there was nothing he wanted her to do, nothing that she could. It was his burden to bear. She said he didn't have to, but he interrupted her and said, I do. What I have to face, what I endure, Farah you would not survive. She replied that was she just to like live here forever, ignoring the root of what was happening around them? She said if he didn't want her to know what was happening there, would, she, would he rather she found somewhere else to live where she wouldn't be such a distraction? He asked her if she had not learned anything from Kalamai. 
She said she only learned that magic made him a brute. He laughed at that, but the laughter was empty. She didn't reply, so he continued that he didn't want her anywhere else. He wanted her here, where he could look after her, where he could come home and know she was here, painting and safe. She couldn't tear her gaze from him. He said that he had thought about sending her away when she had first gotten there, that while part of him still thinks he should have, he realized he was being selfish. He couldn't bring himself to let her go. He said that he had had many loves, but none of them understood what it was like for him to care for his people, his land, that no one knew what scars were still there and what the bad days felt like. He looked down to the painting and softly said that this painting reminded him of all of it, all of what she asked. He lowered the painting and stared into her soul that I'm not alone. That night, for the first time, Farah didn't lock her door. Oh, girl. I'm starting to like him. Oh, my God. <clears throat> things are happening. There are a lot of things happening. So many things are happening. Libby, I'm proud of you because we did say we were not shying away from the smut. I don't think I did. You did not. <laughs> at all. And I'm not still red about it. His beat red right now. Mm-mm. It's surely not. Let's talk about other things. Well, you know what I do want to address really quick? Because I haven't been able to get this thought out of my mind. Mm-hmm. When Bestie SJM is listing Fair's Midnight Snack, and she's like a loaf of bread, an entire loaf of bread, an apple. She was hungry. A chocolate cookie. No, she was. I'm not hating. Like, I'm, I'm, I've been there. I do it. I am not hating. What it made me think of was the very hungry caterpillar. It was like, and on Monday... <laughs> And so I was just like, and on, on Cal and my, Farah was still hungry. She ate one loaf of bread, one <laughs> apple, an entire chocolate chip cookie. Like, that's just all I could picture. This is not the first time that Bessie's been super specific about food. Because remember with the cereal? Yeah. She was like, she brought an apple and a piece of cheese and a loaf of bread. I'm like, are you hungry? We had a lot of info on, on her snack. It's kind of fun. I'm not mad, um, but I must talk to you about the hot man at the start of your chapter, mm. because Bestie said, as if he'd been molded from the night himself. Ooh. You know what's funny, Abigail? That is my quote of the week. That was my highlighted quote of the week. I have it highlighted, and I thought, that's Libby's. No, you don't. Did you really? You do. No way. That was my, that was my quote. I'm not kidding. Here it is on mine. You see it? There it is. <laughs> oh, we're too, we're too, too similar. That's hilarious. I get scary good vibes. Oh yeah. Like the haunting of Adeline. Scary good vibes. I was gonna say I really appreciated her saying the cut close of his clothing, close enough to his body. I was like, oh, okay. We have not, we have not checked out Tamlin to that extent. The only time we got a description of his body is when he stripped down to go swimming. This man is fully dressed and Feyre is is like, she is looking through him. She is tearing through those clothes already. I love it. I love it. And I like how she's like, so how are you here? And like, why are you without a mask? And he's like, because all the monsters have been let out of their cages tonight. Oof. When he's saying about the monsters being released for the night, it does kind of like, oh, it gives you a little... A little, like, uneasy feeling in a way, but Fair is drawn to him. Like, she, he's going to walk away. Every time she, she refuses him, where she's like, no, I don't need you to take me anywhere, he accepts it. Can I just say, we don't even know this man, and this stranger is respecting her responses the first time. We've known him all of five seconds, and he's given more respect to her. 
Yes. Then Tamlin has it all because Tim Tam's just giving. It's insane. Demands. Not asking, giving demands. I'm like, this This complete stranger was respecting her as a person, not just as a woman, but as a person, when she's just like, no, I don't need you to take me anywhere. And when she's like, have a good right, that's it. There's no, there's no argument. Okay, yeah, you too. That's it. We're done. He leaves her alone. Okay, but can we talk about how she then runs into Lucian, who's pissed off. He has lost his marbles. We finally learned what Calamai is about. We do. We we get to learn. We learn that it's a sex thing. <laughs> it is. A weird fairy sex thing. So I get why Tamlin was like, I don't want to explain this to you. I get why Tamlin didn't necessarily want to tell her. I'm sure it's not what he'd want to tell someone you're crushing on about. But like nobody else. Not even... Lucian's over here hating. He's like, no one's told you. Bro, you didn't tell her either. Okay, but how do you explain to somebody you have a crush on that you turn into a monster and choose somebody to have sex with? And people line up to have sex with you. You know what I find even more disgusting is that he just planned on never telling her that. Planned on hiding that. That seems not okay. It's just very fairy. Don't worry about it, Libby. It's just very fairy. Don't worry about it. Just focus on me. Eyes up here. Ugh. Ignore all the sex stuff going on in the background that we've been preparing for for several days. Don't worry. That bonfire, we're all going to get like super big orgy into it, around it. Don't worry about it. It's fine. I love that Lucian's just like, yeah, so Tam has his fun, but then also I get to have some fun and you have to go home now. And I was like, Ooh, okay. We didn't need to talk about that part. We You could have left it at this is what he has to do. You didn't need to let me know that you were also partaking in the festivities. Like, I, I I, don't think Farrah was worried about what Lucian was planning to do that night. Surely wasn't. But he was like, hey, um, by the way, I'm going to get some too. I am also going to sex it up. So thank you. Oh, my God. His last thing that he says is, and I don't think you would have liked it. Tonight is not for lovemaking. And Favor gets nauseous. If someone would have been like, it would have been forceful with you. Like that would have gone from, I'm sure her being jealous to like, oh, that's terrifying. I don't like that. I don't want that at all. No, it's not a cute jealousy. And not that jealousy is cute, but still, it's not a cutesy scene. But now it's terrifying to think that if I had been there, basically, this would have been a whole other book. Okay, well then girly pop goes to get a snack because she's hungry because she didn't even have dinner. And she runs into Tim Tam. And this man, I have so many issues, starting from the fact he was like, I was looking for you and I couldn't find you. So I had to choose somebody else. Okay, dude. Well, first and foremost, you didn't want her there. So rude. And then he's like, she asked me not to be gentle with her either, but I would have been gentle with you. I'm like, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't have. What is that supposed to make her feel good that you're in some, in some weird fairy fucking fest? And, but you would have been nice to her? Is it supposed to be like, oh, she meant nothing. I was rough and mean with her. That doesn't make me feel good. That doesn't make me, oh, thanks. Thank you. No, ew. She's into it. My guess here is that Isaac, she clearly never let herself have feelings for. This is what seems to be the first man that she has had emotional connections with in some way, whether I agree with it or not. And she's allowing herself to explore the possibility of a sexual side of that. And so to her, these things could be a fun turn on because she hasn't had those experiences. This is kind of a first for her. So I'm, I'm going to blame it on her na- naivety. Okay, let's take it one step further. 
Tam says, don't you ever disobey me again, bro. You know what made that okay? Fair straight up slapped him. She straight up slapped him. Don't tell me what to do. I was like, yes, yes. <clears throat> she even goes, why would I want somebody's leftovers? And I was like, yes, queen, good job. But then she goes one step further. She says, do not tell me what to do and don't bite me like some enraged beast. I, I literally wrote it all caps, yes. I just want to hone in on that real quick. She didn't say don't bite me. She did not say that. Just not like an enraged beast. I mean, she we, we know she was arching her back into her girlfriend. We know. We know she likes a little bit of danger, obviously. A little bit of rough. And to quote, I wanted him everywhere. I was drowning in that need. She's real into it. Oh, she is. Girlfriend wants it. Would you want that? I think there is a way to be rough and to be manhandled in a consensual sense. He's doing it derogatorily. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't. There you go. That's a perfect way to put that. Don't be derogatory towards me with it. Don't like if you got if that's what you're into. That's one thing. One. They've never discussed any of these things. Feyre is still discovering these things. And he is literally pinning her against a wall with his freaking claw nail things out it's it's ridiculous you didn't need to take it that far she is a human she can't get out of your grip man she's not going anywhere you don't have to use your claws to pen her in deeper she's not leaving you are the stronger being here you have the power he's in monster man mode okay you don't need to use it he's like i wasn't in full control of myself and she shouldn't have he's gonna deflect it all to her problem if you weren't in full control of yourself then you need to find a way to not be around her. You need to not put yourself within the crossfires, within her path, to where you can end up pinning her against those walls. If you know that you are not fully yourself, maybe don't return to the manor that night. I don't know. Find somewhere else to be, my guy. But he doesn't do that. I love that she wakes up the next day, and at first she's like, oh, shit. She's like, let me find a scarf or something. Then all of a sudden she's like, you know what? Screw that. If he did this, he needs to stare at it. I am proud of her. I'm proud that even though she was obviously turned on by all of it, which, again, you know you like what you like. You don't have to be ashamed of that. It's not a bad thing. But she's also not going to accept him disrespecting her. She's not going to take him treating her, again, like you said, derogatorily. She's like, don't tell me what to do. Don't bite me like some beast. And then, yeah, the next morning she feels almost a sense of shame at first and then she's like no i didn't do anything wrong i got food i got food and i went to go to paint again stayed far away from anybody homeboy shows up and starts acting like a like a dickhead screw that no i'm he gets to look at the crap that he put on my neck so yeah i'm proud of her she said i was beyond cowering and i'm like hell yeah you were girl and i love how she instead literally pulls her tunic down opens up her neckline puts her hair behind her ears and is like, he's going to stare. And then immediately goes to sit in front of Lucian instead of Tam. And Lucian's like, I'm sorry, what the hell is that? And she's like, yeah, you can let Tam explain that because it's not my fault. She's like, go ahead, ask him. And I was, yes, yes, you owe them no response. Tamlin needs to be embarrassed. And his response. Oh, this pissed me off. Instead of Tamlin taking like, not credit, but taking responsibility for it and being like, yeah, I kind of lost a little. He goes, she seemed to have a death wish. And since she can't be bothered to listen to orders, I can't be accountable for the consequences. Or my dude, you can keep it in your pants and maybe not go back to the manner where you know she's going to be. Right. And have some responsibility. 
You sit here and you spend all this time telling her, don't leave your room, lock your door. Vera's right. Who cares what the lock, that lock isn't stopping anybody. You would have, you could have torn apart the wall. You could have literally removed the wall of her room if you wanted to. But then she calls him a fairy pig and goes to paint pictures of him with like a pig snout and a tail. That's what I want for my birthday. I want to pick a painting of Tamlin uh, as a fairy pig, please. I can do so many things and that's not one of my many talents. But maybe I'll hire somebody to do it for you. Anybody, if anyone wants to like, I don't even care how you do it, whether you digital art it, whatever you do, if you guys want to send us a picture, we will literally make it on our post. We'll put it on one of our posts of Tamlin as a fairy pig. Yes. But then she's like, the Tamlin I knew had returned and that made me happy. And I was like, girl, but also he just like not consensually bit you. So, you know, that happened to me in grade school and that person got put in time out. Right. You're not doing that. You're making pig paintings of him and then smiling. So whatever. But then he apologizes to her and brings her roses from his parents' garden. And she's like trying not to make a a big deal about it, but also make sure Alice like puts them in water and takes care of them back in her room. And she fell asleep happy that night, which was really, really sweet. I was shocked when Feyre wears a dress. For dinner. Oh, a gold, like, tight dress that's flowing in the bottom. The boys literally don't know what to do. They're both dumbfounded. They may not know what to do, but she knew what she was doing. She fully knew what she was doing with that dress. The minute... This is my one of my favorite things I highlighted. I love it so much. The minute she walks down, Lucian goes, well, I'm late for something incredibly important. And pieces out, dude. It is my favorite part of the entire chapter. Because he's like... All right, she looks hot and goodbye. I love it. I love it. And it brings me to my favorite quote of the chapter of, well, of of our chapters. It's page 203 and it's after Tamlin's like, you realize you look beautiful, right? And he's being very genuine about it and like reiterating, I think you look beautiful. And she's kind of like um, reflecting on how she looked in the mirror and she didn't see the gaunt person that first came here. She said... And I dared to say that some kind of light had crept into my eyes, my eyes, not my mother's eyes or Nesta's eyes, mine. And I was like, oh, good. I love seeing her build her confidence. And I don't know that she's ever had any. You know, I don't know that we have ever seen a part of Feyre before coming to Prithian where she had any form of self-confidence in herself. And not just as like, obviously she knew she could hunt and she could she could provide for her family but as a person deserving of worth and appreciation, I don't think she had that. And it's nice to see that build. So much so that then she goes and she has this painting for Tamlin. She can tell he's stressed out. And she's, here's what kind of makes me mad. She specifically painted him the starlight in the glen for him. And he goes through and while it's sweet, he's able to see her paintings and know what they mean. He doesn't choose that one. Because of course he doesn't. He's got to be a little bit dramatic and be like, this one, this one of you in the woods, your woods, reminds me that I'm not alone. Shut up. Just shut up, Tamlin. Can we not be thankful for the fact she painted you a whole ass painting you get to choose your own that she didn't offer you? It's the equivalent of a friend making you something and then you see their other stuff in the background. You're like, I would have preferred that one. It's like, that. wow, thanks for being ungrateful. 
Yes. How rude. Well, and then he gets hung up on Isaac's painting. Bro, get over yourself. Who cares? You literally talk about how you've had other loves, but she can't have one fling. Well, that was after. But still, like, even, even that makes it worse that after that, after the jealousy, he can talk about how he's had other loves and she's supposed to be okay. Libby, it's worse. He just fucked a stranger. Yes, there's that too. Oh, yeah. The night before to give energy for the year and replenish the magic. He just had sex with a literal stranger he didn't know, but yet he's getting jealous of like the only escape that she had in the entire village. Before she ever even knew him, he replenished the magic. In the in in Prithian, in the midst of courting, let's just call it what is uh, what seems to be him courting Feyre. But we don't need to talk about that's not. This is the same thing. You had sex with a guy that you knew before I came into your life. I've had many lovers. I'm like, you're gonna just boast about all the lovers you had when you were getting mad at her singular person she didn't love but had sex with as a release seriously double standard jealousy possessiveness i mean if there's a therapist that needs like a good paycheck he's gonna be the perfect client i have a question for you libby have you ever in your life came in contact with like i call it the broken bird syndrome with men like you think you can fix them yeah in the end it was exhausting Oh yeah, it never works. It's it doesn't. It doesn't work. You end up resenting them. It's not worth it. It's not worth my time and energy. It's not worth my mental s- stability. It's not. But we have the emotional growth to realize that, and Feyre doesn't. So Feyre's like, oh, broken Tamlin with the really broken past, and I know things are hard, and I know he's been through a lot, and so let me help him any way I can. That's where she's coming from. Well, and I think I tend to forget that she's 19, and she doesn't have experience with any any other romantic relationships at all. She hasn't had any of that. So it's not like she has something to go off. It's not like she even knows that this is something that plenty of people go through and it's not worth it. She's courting a 500-year-old man. 500. Could you imagine courting a 70-year-old man? Ew. You try breaking the habits of a 500-year-old. That's not going to work. You're telling me that 500 years, you're going to change you're going to change the personality that has been existing for 500 years and has never been forced to change until now. I'm sorry, Feyre. You're amazing, but nothing. It doesn't matter if you are the most perfect person. No one is going to change because someone else forces them to. People only change when they want to. Can't break the habits of my 32-year-old or 30-year-old husband. Okay, I think his ending to this chapter is a little bit manipulative because he's like, I've had many lovers, but none of them understood my hurt. None of them understood how I had to take care of people. You're different. But this painting, you're different. But this painting, it reminds me I'm not alone. And Thera's going to eat that shit up because she's 19. You can't tell me that after 500 years and multiple lovers, multiple loves, that you don't know how to say what you need to say to get a woman to do what you want them to do. I don't trust him. So much so... That favor goes, I didn't lock my bedroom door that night. Now that's got two things. One, she feels safe with him, but two, she's not mad if he comes into her bed. So Feyre, you failed this test, my friend, but I get why, because you're a baby. I don't blame you. I want to protect you. And it just makes me sad. Um, For the listeners that have actually gone through and read the entire Akatar series, Libby and I are going to be doing a 
episode. Minisode? We're going to call it Serial's a mini-sode, a uh, Serial's Tea Time. We're going to go through and talk about everything up to this point that, and, and a couple chapters forward, but that involves the rest of the series. And I just have to say, there's a lot of foreshadowing happening in this chapter specifically that I'm really excited to get into. Oh, there's so much I want to talk about. So just keep your eye out for that. I think that'll be coming in a couple of weeks, but... Bestie is such a good author with the way she sprinkles in little bits of information that even I didn't get the first time reading through this. So I am so excited to have that mini-sode and explore the world from a different point of view at this point. Do you have any other any other things you want to address or are we good for... I'm just ready to learn more about that like very sultry, handsome stranger that we met at Hound Mai. The one that looked like he was made of darkness? The one that respected us? Yeah. <laughs> the one that had like good moral values? That one? You know, the one that saved us from being absolutely attacked. And then when we said to like... While Tamlin was getting ready to have sex with strangers. Right. You know, Tamlin's getting ready, revved and ramped up. And meanwhile, he's over here saving us from a horrible situation. And then when we tell him to GTFO, he does, respectively. Libby, are you ready for Star of the Week? I am. I'm I'm excited about this week. Yes. We've got our first audio to share with you. Star of the week this week is Jordan Gandy, and she has old enough for fairy tales with periods in between. So old period enough, period four, period fairy tale. So. You know, and you've talked about me being excited. I think you like, like we both did, but you like really fangirled when we got when we got her response on this. Listen, I might have a girl crush on her because she's got a crown on in her photo in books, and that is my favorite thing in the world. And she's like gorgeous. Everything she had to say, so fun. Stunning. And she's also somebody who's dealt with infertility, and that is a journey that I'm on. So I have mad respect for her. And also, she's got another aesthetic Instagram, and I'm obsessed with it. So Jordan actually is going to tell you all about herself right here. Hey y'all, I'm Jordan. I'm old enough for fairy tales here on Instagram. I've been on Instagram since August of 2017. So I'm coming up on my sixth bookstagram anniversary, which is very exciting. I post mainly indie authors and Sarah J. Moss because she is my all-time favorite author. Um, but if you're ever looking for indie wrecks or like indie specifically indie fantasy wrecks, indie romantic wrecks, I have got plenty of recommendations. I found Sarah J. Moss when I was going through a really difficult time, definitely the hardest season of my life. We were walking through infertility and just was very discouraged and so sad and like very depressed. Found Sarah J. Moss back when she was publishing Akatar. Akatar had just been published or was about to be published. And that's when I discovered her. And then I just started binging the Throne of Glass series. I was able to read like the second half of it as it was released, which was exciting because I didn't have any spoilers to worry about because I read all of Akatar as it was released, all of Crescent City as it was released. And, um, you know, like half of the Throne of Glass series as it was released, which was great. It really helped me to be able to see her character's rise up out of these dark places and still like struggle with the sadness of the darkness that they've walked through or continue to walk through but yet find joy in everyday things like I think a lot about Feyre who went through so much trauma even before she got to Prithian 
obviously struggling with her family situation and her sisters and her dad who doesn't help and all of those things. Farah has so much trauma that she is having to work through and that she works through in the trilogy. But yet by the end of it, she is able to find these moments of joy and happiness. And eventually those moments of joy and happiness outweigh the trauma. She is not ever going to get over the trauma and that darkness. She is still going to feel it some days more than others. But the way that she fights for that joy has just been really inspiring to me and was really inspiring to me during that dark time. I know it's overquoted, but Moore's Don't Let the Hard Days Win was exactly what I needed to hear and it came to me when I needed to hear it. So that's why Sarah J. Moss is my favorite author. She is so special to me. She writes amazing books, but she also found me at the right time in my life. So um, that's me. Again, if you're looking for Romanacy Rex, or if you want to know what order you need to read Throne of Glass in, I have strong opinions on that. So feel free to reach out. My DMs are always open and I love chatting with fellow moss lovers. All right, guys, I'm glad Jordan was able to tell you all about herself. Again, her Instagram handle is old enough for fairy tales with periods in between all the world, all the words. We will link her Instagram in our show notes. So calling all dreamers, you know, I thought I'd do things a little bit differently this week. I thought that I'd lay some, uh, I would lay some pickup lines down on our um, listeners. I can't wait. Just to let them know that we really want to hear from them. Yeah. Let's hear it. Hey, listeners. Are you guys electricians? Because you're lighting up our night. Can you tie our shoes? We don't want to fall for anyone else. (laughs) If being hot was a crime, you guys, you'd be guilty as charged. If you were a vegetable, you'd all be cucumbers. Oh my gosh, Abby, angels are on Instagram now too? Do you want them to slide in our DMs? Is that where you're getting at? I am. I'm hoping that like with our pickup lines, they will reach out and slide in our DMs. So, you know, dang it. They're so hot. I forgot my pickup line. Okay. All right. Well, with that, we're hoping that you guys will reach out, slide into our DMs after, you know, we drop them hot lines for you. You can reach us at a court of thorns and podcast at gmail.com. We will absolutely melt. We love it. We love hearing from you guys. It means the world to us. It keeps us going. So yeah, reach out. To the people who listen and the dreams that are answered. We'll see you next week. And remember, don't let the hard days win. I know you can hear me from the dark. I know you're listening from afar. Oh no, you broke up, my friend. Everyone, Libby is turned into a robot and I cannot hear a thing she's saying and I might hang up on her. I'm gonna hang up on her. Abby, if uh, if you're still there, we just lost connection with you through the phone. So I hope you're not like still trying to have a conversation with me. Oh, and she hung up, guys. Bye, Libby.